Brought to you by the reinvented 2012 Camry. It's ready. Are you? Get in touch with technology with Tech Stuff from HowStuffWorks.com. Hello, everybody. Welcome to Tech Stuff. My name is Chris Paulette, and I'm an editor here at HowStuffWorks.com. Sitting across the table from me, as usual, is senior writer Jonathan Strickland. Hey there, Crispy. I don't know where you got that from, but you can put it right back. Your first name is Chris. Your last name begins with a P. Chris P. Crispy. And you shall be known as Crispy forevermore amongst all the Tech Stuff listeners. So I decree. Great. Actually, uh... We're actually going to be a little bit more somber than usual. Yeah, I uh, because to get we have some serious stuff away. to talk to yeah. talk about. Yes, um, and um, yeah, I mean, we've had a couple people write in and ask us about uh, technology for people who uh, have, you know, a different disability. Needs. Yeah, yeah, want to be nice. We're talking about assistive technology. Yes, and it's specifically technology that assists people who otherwise would find it difficult to lead. Uh, well, I hesitate to say a normal life, but what we would normally, what we would consider a normal life, I right. suppose. Basically, uh, helps them accomplish tasks that they cannot do normally exactly. themselves. Right. So this has a, a very wide range, um, because there are lots of different things that you could need assistance with, and there are a lot of things that technology can do to help you. So, um, this is probably really just kind of a general overview. Because there's no way we could cover everything in a normal podcast. It would take hours and hours to talk about some of the incredible innovations that are out there that can help people. And some of them are very basic. Some of them aren't necessarily the super high-tech solution, uh, but they're very clever and they are effective. So we should talk about them. Some of them actually aren't even brand new. Right. Um, one of the first ones I thought of as I started writing down ideas is the hearing aid. That's a good example. Because, uh, I mean, of course, they, they haven't always been like they are now, but, uh, you know, the pieces, the earpieces that people wear now are almost indistinguishable. I mean, they're very, very difficult to tell that someone is even wearing a hearing aid and they're sure. very, very efficient. Mm-hmm. But inside that tiny little package, you've got, uh, you've got to have a number of things in there, including, uh, a microphone, a speaker and an amplifier and, you know, the battery to right, run a it. power source. Exactly. So, um, and it, it, it has made people's lives very, uh, very easy. People who have difficulty hearing, basically, um, transferring those sounds to the, uh, the little hairs in your ear. And, um, through that, you can, uh, you can hear not completely normally. No. But, but that is, you know, I, I wasn't even thinking of that as an assistive technology, but that's been around for, you know, for decades now. A, a similar one that's been around for a few decades is the teletypewriter. Oh, yeah. Uh, so this is something that people who have other people who have you know, a hearing impairment would use uh, in order to communicate over phone lines. Now, before we had cell phones where you could text like crazy and all that that kind of uh, mess. If you wanted, if you were, if you were someone who had a really serious hearing impairment, if you were deaf or just had a very poor hearing, um, there weren't too many options that you had in order to communicate over the phone. Uh, one of the few ones was uh, the teletypewriter. Mm-hmm. And the teletypewriter, it looks like, it looks kind of like a typewriter and a, a, that connects to a phone. It actually transmits information over phone lines. Um, and in order to really communicate with one, you essentially needed to have one on both ends of the line or you needed to, to have an operator between uh, the person who was 
calling normally and the person who was on the teletypewriter because you couldn't just, you know, receive voice over the phone line and have the teletypewriter transmit that into, into text. It didn't work that way. Right, right. And speaking from personal experience, um, if you receive a call from, from an operator, uh, working with someone using a teletypewriter, it, it's, it's kind of nerve wracking because you want to be respectful to the person on the other end, but you may not necess- necessarily know how that works. So it's kind of difficult because they're transcribing everything you're saying. And when you basically say, Hey, well, I, I have a question. They're typing that like, no, no, I'm asking you, the operator, can you help me with this? Cause I don't know what, you know. Right. And That's if you get weird. a smart ass for an operator, they're saying things like they're totally saying that you're ugly. Yeah, I haven't had that problem. Yeah. Well, we can talk about my previous <laughs> job experience in a different podcast. Right. So, yeah, the teletypewriter, that was another example of technology that's been around for a while where it was just a, a clever use of tech to allow people to have more options when they're communicating. I mean, it's it's a simple idea, but it was definitely a revolutionary thing in the lives of many millions of people. So. Oh, sure, sure. But that's just the tip of the iceberg. I was going to cite another everyday everyday one before we got into the super-duper high-tech. Okay. Closed captioning. Good. It's a good uh, choice. Which actually is is very similar in some ways to uh, the teletypewriter and the, uh, the operator because um, when you have a live show going on um, – you have somebody listening to what's going on during the show and, you know, trying to transcribe it as they are speaking, which right. can be, I imagine, amazingly difficult, especially judging when you see the typos that pop up on the screen. And I'm, you know, I, I smirk at those, I admit, but I think I, I wouldn't have done any better. As a matter of fact, I probably would have been far, far worse. So I, I appreciate their yeah. ability to do that. You'll see some interesting homonyms thrown, thrown oh, yeah. in there, yeah. things like that. But yeah, you know, these, these are, even when they're using special keyboards that have macros or, or certain common words already programmed into them, so that way all you have to do is hit one keystroke to to do an entire word. Even when you're doing that, you're still talking about having to type at an incredible rate. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. But my favorite uh, when you have the closed captioning turned on is when they have the, the shows that have already been captioned um, and there's music and it says music and it has that little note because mm-hmm. I just thought it's kind of nice that they bothered to include that. Mm-hmm. Yep. Yeah, you got the little the note symbol. Exactly. I guess it's an eighth note. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway, sorry. Well, uh, here here's some other. We can go some other basic technology things like uh, there are very various special keyboards that are out for people who have oh, yeah, other sure. problems. Like uh, there are keyboards that have oversized keys and they're they're uh, maybe extra sensitive. So people who have trouble, you know, maybe someone who couldn't push down on a normal key the way that that you and I could, mm-hmm. uh, could mm-hmm. be able to type without any problem using one of these. There are also key keyboards that are specially made for people who have only the use of one hand. Yeah. Um, so there are a lot of those on the market as well. And I mean, they all are designed for very specific kinds of, of, uh, of disabilities in, in mind. So that's also a, a, a pretty common thing that you can find out in the world of tech. Yep. Um, text to speech software. Also very important. Yeah. Because, um, people who wouldn't otherwise be able to type, um, would, you know, are so that would to... be speech to text. Well, that's text to true. speech would be the other way around. That's true. Okay. Speech to text. Mm-hmm. We'll, we'll go in both directions. Sure. So speech to text, um, would be very useful for someone who, you know, may not be able to type necessarily, but they mm-hmm. could speak into a microphone and have the computer transcribe and, 
email someone, um, mm-hmm. or, um, you know, maybe even print out a letter, uh, you know, for someone else to mail for them. Sure. Um, and then you have your, uh, text to speech, which, I mean, hey, the Amazon Kindle's got it. Yeah. It's not necessarily enabled for every title. No, that, but your uh, Kindle could read to you if you were not able to work the Kindle with your hands. Right. If, if the publisher enables that particular, um, function. Right. I'm just going to take a moment here. Uh oh. Amazon. Um, I don't really blame you. It's not your fault, Amazon. You've, you're working with lots and lots of publishers and these publishers are afraid of technology because their, uh, their industry is based off a very old, venerable business model that has served them well for decades. So it's very scary to move into a new format where uh, you have this electronic version of what you used to print out in hard copy. That electronic version, it's so ephemeral and it could be spread around. And there's, you know, you, you think about how much money you could lose if what if one person gets hold of that book and then just spreads copies around for free. However, <laughs> I don't think you can really uh, – I, publishers, I don't think you have a leg to stand on when you say that that the the text-to-speech feature in, endangers the sales of audiobooks because an audiobook is a completely different animal from a book read uh, using text-to-speech. There's no real inflection in text-to-speech. There's no characterization. Uh, it's really – a useful tool for people who have visual impairments. It is not something that you would want to listen to just out for entertainment purposes. If you want that, you would obviously go out and buy the audiobook version. I don't think anyone would think, oh, well, now I can, I'll just buy the, the text copy because that text to speech voice, let me tell you, that's so much better than hearing the, the novelist read it in his own voice or her own voice. So publishers, um, come on. Enable that function on more titles. Seriously. I just, I think it's the right thing to do. That's Jonathan's opinion. Chris is just going to sit back and let me rant. Your editorial eyes. I, I feel very passionately about this. Okay. So, but yes, those are very important features. I was also going to mention, um, you know, you might, you might say, well, the, this is a technology, assisted technology is, is a very important field, but you, you know, you wonder why people, uh, Honestly, why some companies spend so much time and effort uh, in in researching this stuff? Because when you get down to it, like if you're going to be cold blooded and talk about capitalism, mm-hmm. um, the market is it's it's a niche market, right? But then you think about what would we lose if we didn't invest in assistive technology? Yes, absolutely. And the the human element, like the the contributions that that people can make with with this assistive technology, are amazing. And there's one example that just is forefront in my mind. It's obviously mm-hmm. Dr. Stephen Hawking. Oh, sure. Now, Dr. Hawking, of course, a brilliant mind, absolutely brilliant. And back uh, when he started to to require technology in order to communicate after surgeries and disease, um, originally he had a, a device that all it allowed him to do was communicate one letter at a time. He mm-hmm. had to build sentences one letter at a time. It took forever. And he points out now that with the technology he has that, you know, if, if he had to rely on the old technology, he probably wouldn't have written several of the books that he's written mm-hmm. or been mm-hmm. able to have the, the lectures that he's given at various universities. And the world would be a poorer place without those contributions. I mean, that's just the, the way it boils down. So this technology is very important because 
a lot of these people have contributions I can't even begin to imagine. Sure. And without it, we would never see it. So that's my other editorial. <laughs> uh, it's like, boy, we shouldn't have let Jonathan get onto this podcast, should we? Uh, All right, well, let's get back to some more technology. Okay. Okay. Well, um, you know, and, and that's the other thing too is that, um, some of this, some of the research and development that goes into creating assistive technologies for differently abled people, mm-hmm. um, sort of bleeds over into real life, into other things that, um, you know, everyone else can use too. Sure. Uh, I'm thinking back to our, our podcast that we did on, uh, Ray Kurzweil. Okay. Yeah. And, uh, the reader that he created. Right. Which has basically made its way over into the music industry. Sure. Um, you know, Stevie Wonder being one of the very first people to even uh, lay his hands on one, which is, you know, made them fast friends. I think that's pretty cool. Yeah. And there's other technology that has been used in various um, devices that have found its way into to completely different um, inventions. For example, Dean Kamen, we did a whole podcast on Dean Kamen. We mentioned oh, yeah. uh, his iBot, the, mm-hmm. the uh, very advanced uh, electric wheelchair that he developed. Now, this wheelchair has got some really cool features on it, including the ability to climb Climb stairs. stairs. It also has the ability to raise up on two wheels. So it suddenly allows the the person sitting in the chair to be at about eye level instead of at waist level, which for, you know, someone who's standing up, which is fantastic. I was actually listening to a testimonial from someone using one of these chairs. And she said, I went to a, a, a hotel to make a reservation and I went up on two wheels and I can... You know, no one has to lean over the desk or come around the desk in order to talk mm-hmm, to me because mm-hmm. now I'm suddenly stand, I'm over the desk with this feature. Now that technology has found its way into other devices like the Segway. Exactly. Uh, the, the, the gyroscopes that allow you to move the Segway by leaning forward or leaning backward, that's also in this wheelchair. So people who are in the wheelchair can, when they're up on the two wheels, they can manipulate the wheelchair by mo- leaning forward and leaning backward. I would be willing to bet that some of that technology is also in the Centaur, which may never make it to market. But it looks super cool. Yes. Hint, hint. Yep. Um, um, but, yeah, I mean, and while we're on the subject with Dean Kamen, it, we have to talk about the Luke arm. Okay. Because now this is named after Luke Skywalker from a, <laughs> a little movie. I didn't know that. It is. You didn't know that? No, I didn't know yeah, that. Yeah, it's named after Luke Skywalker. It's the Luke wow. arm. Okay. It's the robotic arm. <laughs> and of course, Luke, uh, spoiler alert, gets his hand cut off in Empire Strikes Back and then, uh, gets a, an electronic one attached at the very end. Um, so he's a lot like his dear old dad, Darth Vader. Other spoiler alert. And so the Luke arm is, uh, the, what happened was Dean, the way Dean came and talks about it, he says that someone from the Department of Defense, a very high level man, came up to him and said, um, we have all these, these soldiers coming back from Iraq and Afghanistan, many of whom have lost an arm. Yes. And the problem is that the technology for replacing a lost arm hasn't really advanced since the, you know, the 1700s. So he says the way he describes it says it's essentially a stick with a hook at the end. Mm-hmm. And they want something more advanced. They wanted something that was so advanced that you would be able to lift a grape or raisin, uh, off a table, be able to tell the difference without looking at it and be able to lift it to your mouth and eat it without crushing it. So there were all these different, uh, parameters that came and had to put into mind. And he first said, you're crazy. There's no technology that exists that would allow us to do this, especially on a level where the arm would be light enough for a human being to comfortably be able to use it. Right. 
But Kamen went around, talked to some neurologists. He talked to some of the soldiers who came back, was convinced that this was a worthy cause. He formed, formulated a team, and after about a year of development, they had a nine-pound arm that could do many of the things that they had hoped it could do. Uh, now, granted, right now the arm is mainly controlled through a series of um, sensors that you actually attach to your shoes, so you use you you know you might lean forward to make the arm go up and you might lean to the right to make the wrist rotate a certain way. It's got 14 points of articulation. Wow. There's some other sensors that attach to uh, the the you know any remnant of an arm that the person might have or their shoulder mm-hmm. that kind of thing. Um, and they hope eventually to get to a, sort of a, a neural muscular control system where you would actually have the controls implanted into the person's body and they would be able to control it with their mind. Mm-hmm. And so you don't have to use any motor controls at all to, to adjust it. There's some amazing videos online. I, I highly recommend you check them out because um, this is the sort of technology that I find really inspiring. Um, I mean, these are very, very smart people who see the need to solve a, a specific problem and they put everything they've got into it. So it's pretty, it's pretty cool stuff. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, let's see. I've got a lot of other like, like not you know important things. Maybe not as impressive as the Luke arm or the iBot, but okay, like uh, screen readers. Oh yeah. Now this is technology that's again for people who are visually impaired. A screen reader is essentially a an an application that will uh, analyze the contents on a screen and then translate it in some way. To, um, to convey that to the person sitting at the keyboard. Now that might be through a, um, a, a text to speech, uh, uh, program. So it may be that the computer talks to the person sitting at the keyboard or mm-hmm. they, they may have a um, braille keyboard. Uh, braille keyboards are these, these pads that have, um, a section where little pins can pop up and they essentially spell out words in braille. So okay. the, the visually impaired person would put his or her fingers over the, this section and feel the pins as they come up. And uh, they use piezoelectric effects. So um, you put a little electricity through and it pops the pin right up. Mm-hmm. And uh, they can read what's on the screen because it's been translated from whatever the text is into Braille. And then that is translated through the pins. It's pretty cool stuff. Actually, it's really cool. I've seen one working and it, I'm always astounded at how fast – they move and how fat quickly people can read because it's just so foreign to me to be able to read through your sense of touch. And I mean, that's just, it's amazing to, to, to see. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, you know, there are a lot of standards out there too. Um, the World Wide web consortium actually has standards for, uh, uh, basically for screen readers to be able to read web pages. Um, you know, so it is possible that they're, you know, that everyone can create web pages that other people can read as long as they conform to those standards. And the, um, the manufacturers of operating systems too also have a lot of assistive technology built right into the, to the operating system. You can turn on features, uh, such as high contrast and, um, you know, alter the, the, uh, size of letters on the screen to make them easier for people who are uh, have difficulty seeing to read the, the screen a little better. And yeah, there's some that also will translate any audio cues into visual cues, so it might mm-hmm. make the screen flash to let you know an alert has come through when normally, a, you know, you might just hear a chime. Um, so, I mean, it's it's little things like that that seem very simple, but they do make a big difference. Um, you know, you, 
thinking on it, you're like, well, yeah, that makes perfect sense. But mm-hmm. someone had to come up with that. <laughs> you know, it's, it's when you're, when you're designing something for a wide audience, there are a lot of things that you may not take into consideration. Um, it's the same problem that people, that I see with people who develop really, really cool websites. Mm-hmm. They're developing really cool websites for the latest version of whatever browsers they want to support. Mm-hmm. Uh, but as you and I know, not everyone's using the latest browser. In That's fact, a, a relatively small number of people are using the latest browser. Most people are, are at least a generation, if not two generations behind. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And so when they go to visit this super cool website, their browser isn't able to, to display it the way it's meant to be displayed. And so it, it becomes a jumbled mess. Right. So it's another one of those things where when you're designing something, you know, it, it might pay off to really take these sort of things into consideration. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know if you saw this. It was a okay. pretty recent news story. Did you hear about the the car developed by the Virginia Tech College of Engineering that allowed a blind man to drive? No, I didn't. Yeah, yeah it was interesting. It's a little dune buggy style vehicle. And I watched a video on it and uh, they allowed this uh, uh, one of the, the members of the team was a, a blind man who was behind the wheel of the car. Uh, another student sat next to him. And um, it uses a whole bunch of different technologies to allow the blind person to drive. Mm-hmm. Um, it has laser range finders. It's got voice command software. Um, and it's got uh, a feedback system. It tells the driver which way to turn. So it starts to detect something that you might collide with. You might want to turn left now so that the, the driver doesn't collide with anything on the road. Now, granted, this is not something necessarily that we're going to see implemented uh, on the streets any time in the foreseeable future, not to use a horrible pun, but the, you know, it's just, it, it, it's an interesting use of technology. Yeah. yeah. And now if you could fine tune it to a point where the, the car could definitely uh, detect everything, then maybe, but I just don't, I don't think that's possible really. Although it could be a very good step in the direction of fully, full automation. That's true. However, um, I think the biggest problem in this case would be you'd need everybody to adopt that technology at the same time to prevent, uh, because I think the biggest hazard in that case would be other drivers, because it's impossible to predict what they're doing. Right. Well, and and when you think about it, your car would become the ultimate backseat driver. Yeah. Because it would say things like, this jerk is cutting you off, flip him off and cut to the left. I mean, that's just, <laughs> you know, that's... All right. I mean, that's the way I would do it. Yeah. But... Okay, so do you have any other technologies you wanted to talk about? Um, yes, um, sure. I I do think one of the coolest things that I've seen is uh, you know there there's it's sort of um, still in the earlier implementation stages, but for people who can't use um, their hands to operate a computer and really may be unable to use their voices as well, um, I've seen some uh, some scientists working on systems that sort of in, it, it sort of involves a combination of different technologies cameras and uh, measurements of electrical impulses but basically they follow um, the user's eyes oh yeah track eye movements yeah, yeah they track eye movements and basically they can operate the computer with you know their eyes rather than you know with their hands or with their voices which is, is really cool technology. It is very cool technology, and I and I you know have seen a little bit on it, and I know that it's not extremely far ahead, but just the idea that we would be able to do that, um, and have it you know work, it's it's you know fairly effective too. Um, yeah. And you know I have the feeling, um, based on what little I've read about it, that it'll be a little while before it's commonplace and affordable enough for people who um, 
who really need the technology to, to be able to use it. But um, th- this is another thing that could be very useful uh, for all kinds of people once more research is done on it and, um, you know, it, it becomes more commonplace. That's cool stuff. It is neat. Yeah. And I mean, I've, I've had a chance to see some of this technology at, at places like CES, and mm-hmm. it's always really uh, one of my favorite spots to, to stop on the show floor, just because, I mean, you really see what how creative people can be with the technology to to make it do things that you, you just take for granted, mm-hmm. you know, every day. So that's really cool. Um, well, I don't have any other technology, but I do have a list of organizations and uh, and government groups that um, – that are all about assistive technology. Did you have any others you wanted to talk about before I go into that? No, no, no. I do have a couple of organizations. I bet you have them too. So let's hear your list. All right. These are all, the ones I have are all North American organizations. Now I should go ahead and point out there are organizations all around the world for assistive technology. Uh, The only reason I stuck with North America is because that's where I happen to be. And there are, like I said, lots of them. So Mm -hmm. this is just a small sample but there's the Adaptive Technology Resource Center at the University of Toronto. Mm-hmm. There's the Center for Applied Special Technology, also known as CAST. There's Assistive Technology Industry Association, which is actually a, a, a commercial group. I mean, it's a group of different companies within the industry. Um, there's the Rehabilitation Engineering and Assistive Technology Society of North America, mm-hmm. which is a mouthful. And there's the Alliance for Technology Access. Those are the ones that I listed. Yep, you got the ones that I had. <laughs> so what happens when we uh, we try to be creative and and uh, sort of do independent research? So yeah, you got all of mine. Yeah, this is a here's a secret for you guys. When we research, we do research independently. So there's no telling. One of us may come up with something the other one has no idea about, or we may find the exact same information. Yep, as is the case today. Yep. But yeah, there there are lots of these groups, and again, I find their work very interesting, and and I'm very thankful for it. So, good job, guys. Keep up the good work. And I do think that uh, getting these companies to cooperate with one another is great news for people who need assist- assistive technology because they're going to come up with standards, right? That are uh, you know that work with different machines, that work with different software. Um, and will allow them to work with one another, which is incredibly important. Yeah. Know. I mean, that's important for any technology. We see that all the time where the, one of the big problems with any new technology is that there are no standards in place when a new technology really first emerges. And then everybody gets involved. There's a big mess. You don't know which way to go. And then eventually a set of standards emerges and then it really becomes useful. Yeah. I mean, this stuff is expensive. Yeah. Especially when it's when it's new and um, yeah, the iBot uh, wheelchair, as I recall, is twenty six thousand dollars. That's rather and, expensive, and most insurance companies will not cover it. I'm sure. So, yeah, we're talking pretty expensive stuff, but very worthwhile. Yep. Well, I guess that uh, just leads us right over to a listener mail. All right then. Today's. A listener mail comes from Gregorio. And Gregorio says, Hey guys, I just listened to the podcast on Google Street View and I wanted to give you my take on it. I am studying to be a traffic engineer and we use Google Street View and Google Earth daily. When designing streets, we tried to get surveys of the area which would show all existing features like dimensions, street signs, and striping. But when budget is limited, we have to go out and measure and photograph intersections ourselves. 
We overlay Google Map, Maps images into our CAD designs to help draw the streets, and we use Google Street View to verify signs and striping layouts. It is very, it is a very important tool that we use to supplement our design data. That's pretty darn cool. I didn't know that. Wow. So, uh, yeah, thanks, it's better Gregorio. Than going out and you know taking the tape measure and you know, run down. Yeah. No, uh, I mean, don't remind me. Yeah. Just makes me think of Saturday. <laughs> Well, thanks a lot, Gregorio. And if any of you want to write us, our email address is techstuff at howstuffworks.com. If you would like to learn more about technology, well, there's this handy-dandy website we like to call howstuffworks.com. There's lots of cool stuff there. I recommend you checking it out. All right, then. And we will talk to you again really soon. For more on this and thousands of other topics, visit howstuffworks.com. And be sure to check out the new Tech Stuff blog, now on the HowStuffWorks homepage. Brought to you by the reinvented 2012 Camry. It's ready. Are you?